and welcome to Dungeons and Diapers. I'm your host, Ryan, this week. Joining me, as always, is Crofton. And Crofton, I don't want to delay any further, but are you ready to do our Spider-Man 2 spoiler cast? No! It's too bad. You signed up for this. You knew it. You you, you had the PlayStation Watch. You were ready. So, um, first off, I want to start with the fact that uh, Doc Ock, he's here. He holds the power of a thousand suns in his hand. No! It's a different Spider-Man 2. You're good. Don't worry about it. Um, I have another note. Okay, Electro has a comb over in this one. Uh, no! <laughs> Just kidding. That's a different Spider-Man 2. This one for sure. Mysterio's on vacation in Europe with Spider-Man. No! Yeah. And that's just three Spider-Man 2s that I could pull out of my butt. So, At least the last one wasn't called Spider-Man 2. You are accurate. It was not called Spider-Man 2. And it, I guess, technically wasn't the second appearance of Spider-Man in that franchise, right? It is it is really funny, though. You you do raise an interesting point about that. Like, because for a long time, using video game parlance, when somebody said Spider-Man 2, I thought of the tie-in movie game on Xbox or and PlayStation 2 back in the day that I had such a great time with. And that's like, you know, if it's just like if somebody said Knights of the Old Republic, if you're talking video games, somebody said Spider-Man 2, I would know what that meant. But now there's another game called <laughs> Spider-Man 2. And I know this is a thing that movies that happens with movies all the time. But normally what happens with movies was that the new one, generally, if it's if it's using the same name, like it's a remake of a movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. And then it'll say in parentheses next to it, the year like 2020, as opposed to the original one. And as time goes by, nobody gives a shit about the remake anymore, unless it's a crazy good remake. They'll just, when they say the name of the movie, when somebody says Friday the 13th, they'll, they'll mean the first one and not some re some remake of it. But with video games, it's tougher because the new game with that name is always the better one or generally the better one. You know, it's like, oh, new Spider-Man 2. Well, it's probably better than the old one. Better graphics, better voice acting. Video game yeah. technology has come a long way. Yeah. Uh, so for everyone at home who hasn't thrown their podcast device across the across the room because you haven't finished Spider-Man 2 on PlayStation 5. Uh, that was a joke. We're not going to be talking about Spider-Man 2. Uh, we're actually not going to be doing a uh, PlayStation 5 watch, but uh, I did want to welcome everyone to Dungeons and Diapers. We're going to be talking about all the geeky stuff we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, uh, and then we're going to dive into a topic in our diapers section. And this week we have bedtime. Uh, that is not just Croft and I going to sleep on the podcast uh that is us going to be talking about the bedtime routine which has seen a bit of a disturbance and or shuffle uh in both our lives i believe so that's going to be quote unquote fun to talk about <laughs> ryan look uh i appreciate us not talking about spider-man 2 obviously i have not played it you've played a lot of it i i very much would be interested in hearing some of it, but I, I think we save it maybe for a future episode when we both played it. But but I know many listeners are wondering, they listened to the last episode, they're, they're wondering, okay, there's no going to be no Spider-Man 2, but is there going to be a lot of conversation about Ryan's balls? And um, <laughs> if, if last episode was your first one, I apologize. Because this is not going to have any ball talk conversation. Unless Crofton got a vasectomy last week. 
No, I did not. I did okay. not. I, I, my understanding is that it takes nine months. This is what <laughs> I've been told. Uh, so, 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 okay. There's going to, so there's no ball and you're not going to be like Crofton. I have another surprise for you. I got a penis enlargement or something like that. Like you're just, you're just a hundred percent. We're going to keep it above board this week. Right. I mean, it depends on your definition of above board, but we do have the Crofton side of core. What about what's his um, name? Um, uh, Crofton? Cro- Crofton. He's got some returning once again, Crofton side of core uh, Crofton. This is where we play a clip from the core podcast, which features your bestest friend, Bo Schwartz, uh, where they talk about video games for about 15 hours every Thursday night. Uh, and, uh, occasionally they bring you up for some reason, and I've got a couple of clips for us to play and you're going to explain your side of the story. Cause unfortunately they have yet to invite you on that podcast. It's true. Yeah. So here's your first clip. Uh, let's take it away. Soundboard. Phil's a, 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 what do they call him? A Toastmaster. He's like Crofton. He's <laughs> like too much in his element. Like too, like yeah. too good at it. So Crofton, are you a Toastmaster? Cause that's a real thing. Wait, I I feel like there's a bit of context or what were they talking about? <laughs> That's not, they were comparing you to Phil Spencer in that you're able to uh, oh, get Phil on the stage Sp- and speak to the crowd as if they are they are but uh, your audience and you're not nervous. You're all good. You're just great. You're good to talk. There, it was a, it was a it was a very big compliment from them. I think. Oh, okay. Oh no, that's that's great. I thought you know it could have been. I'm very good at making toast, which is one of the very few things that I am good at making, actually. Um, oh. So, uh, so, but uh, Toastmaster, yeah. So I, it, okay, I don't have a fear of public speaking, and I think if you take away, which is a very common fear, you know, obviously, people have. Uh, yeah, I think it's the most with heights and spiders or something i don't know it's it's one of the big fears i am scared of spiders and sometimes heights but um but not not public you make a bad spider-man this is basically what you're saying that's why my mom got me into spider-man as a kid because as a kid i was really scared of spiders so she's like maybe he'll like this comic and it will make him not as scared and uh i don't know why like the first panel is like a spider gruesomely biting a guy's hand and he's like ah you know, and in immense pain, and then his body goes into contortions. He does get spider powers at the end, though, so that's good. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. So I I just I'm really I am comfortable. I do you know like lots of wedding toasts, all of that sort of stuff. It's it's something that uh, has been easy for me, which is funny though because it's funny to me that Bo would point me out as one because I also think that Bo gets primed by crowds. Like if he's in front of a crowd. Uh, then he gets jacked up. The example that always jumps to my mind is we went to a uh, a screening of the Big Lebowski, and it was not like uh, you know when it released. It was a it was like a revival sort of at our local theater, and we went and we all dressed up as characters from the Big Lebowski for a costume contest. And uh, and Bo was on stage, and you know people were were cheering for his costume, and he was hamming it up and all of that. I guess there's a difference between that. And actually giving a toast, though, uh, he's clearly not not too not too shy in front of a crowd. But I definitely am not. So uh, I will take their compliment, and I would I would have a toast with my friend Phil Spencer. Um, I assume we would be friends. That's good. Yeah, I mean, if you're friends, get him on the podcast. It'd be great to talk to him. Um, 
And you already provided the background for this clip, so I'm just going to play it. When we went to go see the Whoa. Big Lebowski at the Mayfair. Yeah. What the um, hell? We dressed up as, you know, it's like one of those cinema viewings where you dress up, and we dressed up as the characters from Big Lebowski. Are you kidding uh, me? Crofton was Donnie. Really? He was a good Donnie. And we That's told him to great. F off. You'd talk and be like, That's F off, Donnie. <laughs> so there you go. Are you kidding me? He did that? It, that I was... just told that story. <laughs> So, That's um, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so, anyways, the, that was from uh, Core three seventy nine. The last one was three seventy six. So we're still working our way through the summer. Um, I think that was in like August or something. So, so he told it first, of course. God damn it! You know yeah. what's funniest about that too? Not not about the the, the clip, but about the situation was sure. that was that so. I was Donnie, who, if you've watched The Big Lebowski, is often told to shut the fuck up, and is uh is pretty like low low riz as the character as the kids today would say not much charisma meanwhile bo was um oh geez who's john goodman's character walter and uh and uh mike was a, a pitch perfect dude and uh it's just funny because i was probably the least convincing as my character of the three of us and my job was pretty much to stand there silently and be told to shut up when i tried to speak so to to, to point to that as an example of me being good at toasting seems very funny because i never i didn't even get to say anything meanwhile bo's bo's <laughs> telling me to shut the fuck up and parading on stage <laughs> and with the giant bowling ball uh anyway that These is, were different episodes, so yeah, he had. This was a, in context of something completely different, but yeah. I, oh I, yeah, I hear the two clips together. I conflate them, but you're, yeah, it was a different episode. It's just so funny that you brought that up because. Uh, oh god damn it! Yeah. So um, that well that that was a quick one, but uh, we have uh, one more here, and this one's a uh, Baldur's Gate three related, and I think you actually referenced this, so, and this is when they talked about it on core. Yeah, this. Oh shit! <laughs> oh goddamn it! Did you do that, or did he do that? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you got it from the full context for audio listeners, but basically, <laughs> because Crofton is playing a halfling, he can go in a little hole, and he's happy. He's unlocking picks, and I'm kind of being—I'm the supervisor. I'm the master. I nominated myself master of coin because we always have to resurrect constantly. Every every gold that we get goes to withers. So I think you made reference to this a couple episodes ago where uh, you had gone into this little hole and it was filled with explosives and then uh, Bo came in and the whole the whole room exploded uh, in your multiplayer madness. Well, well, it is funny, first off, because I guess I have been on core now. Secondly, um, <laughs> well, we don't technically say Bo's been on this podcast, even though his. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has been on this. Has he? Has he not? I thought we had him, and that was a big joke early on. Was the Hi. fact that he he has no kids? But um, but the uh, yeah, no. I I mentioned it on the show. But what was funny about that, it, particularly great in the clips on Bo's um, uh, uh, Twitch, and it's worth it's worth seeking out if you have familiarity with Bo, Bo, uh, Baldur's Gate. He did a good job explaining it. But what he left out, and well, he sort of alluded to, was how friggin' sanctimonious he had been that entire play session about sort of monitoring the way that we play and being like, 
you guys keep dying and I keep surviving and I have to pay to resurrect you and all of this. And I, for whatever it's worth, did not die up until the point that Bo killed me. I snuck into a room full of loot, but also explode of exploding barrels. And I was very careful not to set anything off. And as I was looting the room, because Bo didn't trust me, he found a way to get into the room. Of course, walked right in with a lit torch and blew us both the hell up. So, uh, yeah, he did a fairly accurate job recapping that one. Thanks, Bo. Good job, Bo. And uh, as a special bonus treat, I now have uh, this for forever. He's and, so and ripped. Bo, he's your age. What, what's your excuse? Why are you not there? I know, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Scott, you really came after Bo with that one. <laughs> he's like, what's your, look at Ryan. Why can't you be like Ryan? So there you go. So now Ryan? Yeah, now I have this. Why can't you be like Orion? So there you go. <laughs> I, I must be a Ryan Reynolds thing. That's all. I No, think. it was uh, the Barbie movie. They were talking about. <laughs> they were talking about Ryan right. Gosling. Uh, he, so he did go right after Bo. Yeah, uh, he did. Oh, he got. Uh, and I, I clipped out. <laughs> they kept going. Um, but yeah, that's the Croft inside of Core. Uh, we'll have that segment whenever i have clips but um you brought the clips today i know yes but uh no more for today we're gonna jump into the dungeons and i think we're gonna start with our biggest our biggest thing i i have a feeling we'll be talking about this for a bit here but uh cyberpunk 2077 phantom liberty the expansion for cyberpunk 2077 is out now and both of us have been playing it for the last month Crofton, how do you want to kick this off? Because uh, last time we spoke, you had not started it. Well, I had just started it. I had been oh, yeah, like yeah. kind of the introductory sequence, and I think you were already careening towards the, the end. Um, I, I would say that since we we uh, last spoke, I'm, I'm into it now, but I, I think I, I would still be in the first third of just life has been in the way. I haven't been able to play it too, too much. And also one thing about Phantom Liberty – as an expansion, it takes place in the in Night City, in a district, in the world of Cyberpunk 2077. So you can go in and out of it, like past the introductory point. And it's very easy, and this is what I've been experiencing, um, Ryan, is that it's very easy to kind of like slip in and out of the DLC content into the regular game, you know, the gigs and stuff, especially if you're if you're playing, you know, if you're in the midway through through a mission um so uh so it is for me it's it's you know i i'm not i'm not rushing towards the end i don't have a spider-man 2 waiting for me in my hot little hands so i'm i'm trying to savor it as much as possible go through it and all this but i'm i'm still i would say like compared to you who is who is rolled credits or whatever the equivalent is in a DLC like this. I'm still just sort of figuring out uh, bits and pieces of it, but I definitely have a, enough impressions of the 2.0 and some of it to be able to talk uh, 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 more about it. Um, my question to you, Ryan, as somebody who's finished it, was just like, like, do you feel that there is a big quality discrepancy between doing stuff that's included as part of phantom liberty and doing stuff that's in the main game like down to stuff like if you do a gig in dogtown and then you go outside of dogtown that's the area that's added in, in the dlc and you do a gig do you feel that there's a quality a notable quality increase or change um when you're playing or is it just more more 
Uh, well, I mean, I didn't do a lot of gigs in the main campaign because the ones I did do felt very, very side quests. Like you would walk into a room and they'd say, hey, I need you to, you know, take care of this specific person. I need you to collect five of these things. They're, they're, they felt very basic. Um, but no, in, in, in the Phantom Liberty DLC, the 10 gigs that they add into Dogtown for Mr. Hands, they all feel like they have very much curated content and most of them end in some form of a choice that then leads to um specific dialogue with with your fixer at the end of it uh and and then that gives you different rewards depending on what you choose so yeah i'd say that the that the content specifically that they've crafted here in the expansion for the for the gigs itself very much uh have a higher quality than than the main game I've only done two gigs, and I, I've definitely noticed that as well. They, they seem to be much more expansive, extensive. Like, there's whole areas that you would only go to for the gig. And another thing that I'm immediately noticing about F- Phantom Liberty, again, it adds this enclosed neighborhood to this, this big city you're in, Night City, called Dogtown. And... Uh, one thing, and this is like criticism that I think has been thrown around to a couple of open world games, including Spider-Man 2 and others, is just that you get these giant open worlds, but you don't register the world or have a sense of location, I guess. You're kind of, you know, there's so much, they're so expansive, uh, and 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 you end up chasing waypoints on a map. But then if you took away your map or your mini map and you were like, hey, go to this location or this area, in a lot of these games, you wouldn't be able to find it in the same way that in some games that have really lived in uh, open worlds, you you remember that hill and you know where, where things are and you have a good sense of of the area. Like I remember the grand, grand theft auto three vice city. I, uh, I knew those cities by heart. Like I could take shortcuts. I knew if you told me I needed to go, like they're not huge environments, especially by modern standards, but they really like, I knew them inside and out. And I find that the bigger, like we talked about it last episode about me saying for DLC packages for cyberpunk they could really carve out like there's so much of night city so much of it you cannot go into or interact with you look up there's a tremendous sense of verticality there's all these walkways most part you can't go to any of them you can't go to these places um it's a, a lot of it is only only skin deep and what i find i am already finding about dogtown is it's like it's a smaller area, yes, it's one neighborhood, but they're like you go every you're going everywhere in it. Like be it for gigs, be it for story missions. You're really like and and, and you know, I met this NPC fairly early after you you go through the introductory sequence, the the big long action-y sequence, and and you have sort of like freedom again. Um, and I went to like one of the first places that you're supposed to go for the main story. And there was an NPC. He's like kind of a, a hustler selling stuff in front of this shop. And you can sit down on a lawn chair in front of him and just ask him about Dogtown and ask him about the various neighborhoods of Dogtown. And um, I looked at the map and I was like, man, Dogtown's not that big. How can it have all these neighborhoods? It's just that 
the the quality of the space in the, the in the area is just so much greater. It feels like it feels like a more handcrafted space, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think they've done a really great job of thinking about each section of Dogtown, and it's very layered uh, in the sense that you. You can go into more buildings too. I find as well, like there, the buildings make sense. Like there are a lot of settings within the expansion of like this, these large. Um, uh, there's a large nightclub, and it's only a couple of levels. And I think there's one level you can get to with a key card, but I, I never, I never got the key card. But in in the main game, there was a lot of those buildings, but they were like mission based. You you go to them for the mission; they were only open for the mission, and they you were limited to the levels that that they sent you to. But I find in in Dogtown, there's a couple of buildings that have access that is open. It, it's it's a real similar to Afterlife, I guess. Afterlife is probably the best example of from what I recall from the main game. And you can go into that building. You could go up to higher levels, meet you know certain people and stuff. So the world just feels uh, like they've done a, a really like it's a small area, so they can put more attention to detail in these in these areas. There's no wasted space, I find, uh, in Dogtown because again, it's a small area, so they kind of like really pack everything in there. Uh, and lore wise, that makes sense because it is this like small, walled off section within Night City that that has a very you know uh, specific set up right so uh but but yeah i find that the the world's really lived in um there's a bit of you gotta have a bit of a suspension of belief because uh within the story your character becomes somewhat of a wanted person and you are able to kind of walk around without constantly being chased uh by by the not not the ncpd but the cops of that area like the authority of that area uh so you have to kind of like check that at the door um, several times throughout the story as your character is, is found to be doing things uh, against the main faction in that area. But uh, yeah, like, but that's video game logic. You, you, I, I don't fault the game for that because again, you don't want the whole area to just basically like shut down because you did a story mission, you know? Um, but I, I've, I really enjoyed my time in Dogtown. I think that while I was playing the expansion, I very rarely left that area to go do other stuff. I did kind of like keep main quests moving within the main game, but eventually I just kind of like left those all aside when I realized like it doesn't really matter. I can focus on Dogtown and and kind of do the story and um and, I, and yeah. There's a point early on early on I say it's like after there there's a big introductory sequence. Every time I say early on I mean after that because it is fairly lengthy and it was all i had experienced i hadn't even gone through all of it last time um but and it's very it's it's like and ryan and i talked about sort of the cinematic nature of the first act of cyberpunk's main story the heist um and how they they replicate a lot of that and they do that right off in the opening there's some great stuff when you first get to dogtown but past that sequence there's a point where you have to wait two days for somebody's call. And that's where I got, um, I mean, like the, the foot off the gas, it came off the gas. You're supposed to like explore Dogtown, do some gigs. I did one gig in Dogtown. They also have this, <clears throat> I think it's 
introduced through Phantom Liberty because uh, I think they they it might be 2.0 though. So it's really hard for me to, to tease these apart because again, uh, CD Projekt Red did a whole revamp of the skill tree and a lot of features as as point of part of Cyberpunk sort of 2.0 patch, and that's given away for free. You don't necessarily need the Phantom Liberty to, to, to get that, and part of that is uh, car combat. Um, so you can, you know, there's shooting, you know, better car combat, shooting from cars and stuff. And then there's this whole like, I think it's an ongoing quest quest chain with kind of huge rewards where you can steal cars right like ryan you, do you know what i'm talking about did you ever do this with the little car wheel symbol on your map and you'd go and yes. you'd take it i love that honestly that's like it reminded me a lot of uh uh you know old school grand theft auto style missions where you were you were driving from you, know, you weren't necessarily stealing cars but you were driving from point a to point b through the area and um it just reminded me of like more old school you know open world sort of missions um for the most part i think like the first mission you do in that sort of segment is story driven and then from what i've been able to tell i could be wrong uh but from what i've been able to tell it's just it's basically randomly generated afterwards there might be some flavor thrown in but and loot, and you get loot, this big crate of loot after yeah. each one, and it's always good loot. But the the thing, too, is because uh, the way that it works, you steal a car, you got to take it to, to a garage somewhere in Night City. It's often pretty far from, like, just because you're in Dogtown, you're not, it's not like from point A to point A and in, in point B in Dogtown. You're taking it pretty far. Uh, and that's where I would often, like, I would, I would do one of those, and you yeah. get chased down at one point. And sometimes you got to keep the car in good shape. Sometimes you got to do it in a certain amount of time or what have you. So I would always enjoy those because I knew that the loot was good too. But then it would often take me to a complete other corner of Night City. And then I would be right next to a cyber psycho or right next to a gig or some other type of quest. I'd be like, well, since I'm here, I might as well do that. But that would like, de you know, delay me considerably from getting back to Dogtown or getting back into that sort of stuff. But the other thing that was neat about it was that it reinforced kind of the fun, the new fun in my build. Because as much as I loved Cyberpunk when I first played it, when it first came out, I was playing it on PC. And even when I was playing it earlier this summer, I really enjoyed it. Um, the gameplay uh, I liked in the de Deuce X, Deus X uh, way of like being able to hack people and being able to shoot people. But like Deus X before, the shooting was not really that great. It was like number driven, you know enemies were often bullet sponges it depended on your weapon it depended on all this stuff and then the, the hacking you had a couple of options but it was still fun enough like i had a good time i had a good time with it but the 2.0 has just like and i don't know like i know you can have all different character builds and stuff and it, last time we recorded i was trying to still figure it out a little bit but I landed on kind of like a build that was working for me. And again, I'm with the Xbox controller. I'm playing it on Xbox Series X. So like, you know, aiming is sometimes, you know, even with the auto aim, a little bit challenging. But um, I have, I've gone heavy on the cool uh, tree. And uh, in particular, I have all this like bullet time sort of um, for using pistols. So I'm, I pretty much uniformly use pistols 
and I've gone high on intelligence and hacking. Um, and so I'm sort of like, I've got a big on, you know, pistols in slow motion when the going gets tough. And then I have all sorts of uh, much more advanced hacking than I've ever had. So I'll run you through Ryan, like an example of like this, the car stealing stuff is like, I will, I will steal a car like as part of these side things and I'll start, you know, I'll start driving it or whatever. And then, then all of a sudden I've got a tail and I've invested in this skill that allows me to, to uh, exit my car by double tapping, like exit, you know, a car where I like essentially jump out of the window and shoot up into the air into it's like a stunt skill uh, when you're driving cars and you can even slide out of your car and do sort of stuff. But I jump up into the air and then I, I I'm already in slow motion. Um, and then I, I, you know, take out my pistol and there's this other car and there's two guys in it and they're shooting at me. And then I'm in the air, like pretty high up in the air coming. My car is just careening into the side of the, the, you know, the divider and and I I like headshot the two guys in the car um, using dead eye as I I'm flying down uh, from the sky land perfectly on the ground. Then another car pulls up with two more guys. I, I I jump behind sort of my car. I hack them both with this contagion hack. They both get sick. I jump up. I finish them off with a couple of shots again, like in super sick slow motion. I get back in my car. I drive away. And that level of like just awesome slick shooting and combat was not there before. And honestly, that the minute to minute gameplay um, has made it that I've switched away from stealth. I still I will try to come in stealthily and hack things, but mostly I will just I much prefer guns blazing now because of the pistol play with my my character build is so much fun. And I know that there's other ways that I could build a character and I could leverage other things. I also have the raw the I, I got the augment for your arms, the cyberware where it can shoot rockets out of your arm. So like when I get into big trouble, I'll shoot a rocket out of my arm and I just mix up all these things. And it just feels really, really fun to play. And I think beyond the story and beyond anything else, the thing that has resonated much more with me this time is the moment to moment gameplay. I like look forward to being like, Oh, I'm going to get in a fight with these dudes. I'm going to pull all these moves. It's going to be sick, you know? And it's just, uh, it, it just before it felt much more clunky. Yeah. Well, they've done a lot of, a lot of work to refine the gameplay loop. And you, and you see that with Phantom Liberty in the sense that they have, like they have the, the car missions that pop up, the dynamic missions, they also have the dynamic drops that that hit. There are these, which then um, go into the idea of like uh, presenting you with a fresh new combat encounter in a in a different area of town. And it's these. It's kind of like um, it's like uh, I'm trying to think. I guess PUBG would be like sort of yes. the best way to put I, it. I forgot about those. Like where they mm-hmm. drop the crates with the the smoke and stuff. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think that that alongside the vehicle missions that pop up, you have this these two types of dynamic missions that are constantly um, popping up, and you can't ignore them. There's no there's no um, there's no repercussions for ignoring them. Uh, even in, when they introduce the mechanics, they always say like, "Hey, you know, they'll pop up on occasion. If you don't do them this time, just wait a little bit, and they'll pop up again later." And I think it really encourages you as a player 
it go it it flies in the face of the idea that your your character has a ticking clock uh to live because uh v the main character is dying but uh we've talked about this before the game really doesn't take that time limit into uh play uh it kind of ignores it until narratively it has to sort of like touch on it but really like there's no there's no clock in the background so um really the best way to live uh have your character live is just to never finish the game <laughs> honestly because all the endings are just so uh i found at least so depressing uh d- doesn't matter what you pick uh it never ends well and i never have finished the game because even the first times i played it i never went past the point of no return i'm looking forward to to going through that and and seeing that but i i never feel pressured even though i know ostensibly that's the whole reason you're in dogtown i never mm-hmm. feel pressured by that you know that situation yes yeah and i and i find so for me i have rolled credits on specifically phantom liberty has its own credits uh and then um and then once you finish phantom liberty there are choices that you can make that that influence the ending of the narrative the ending of the narrative for the expansion like it doesn't end the game it just and it doesn't lock you out of dogtown it just kind of like completes that narrative for the expansion but then it does unlock further endings that you can then immediately jump into uh so i i finished the expansion then i i quote unquote finished the game through the expansion content um so and I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you've played Cyberpunk 2077 to completion, you know there is basically a point of no return that then uh, dictates what that final mission looks like. You know, uh, it's the same final mission, but it changes depending on your your choices in those final moments, and then that leads to a different uh, different ending, uh, so to speak. But with Phantom Liberty. Yeah, I, I just you went over something really quickly there, and that I just I just want to clarify when when you finish the Phantom Liberty DLC, it shortcuts you all the way to the end of the game if you want. Is that what you said? Yeah. Um. No. Without it doesn't... without doing the, you don't have to do any of the rest of the main game stuff. Like to get to that point, it can just be like you want to skip ahead now, sort of. It shortcuts you to a a, a new specific ending related to your adventures in phantom liberty so depending on your choices and your allegiances within phantom liberty that can then lead to an ending for your character v but it 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 is not connected to the ending the original ending of cyberpunk it doesn't doesn't skip you to the natural conclusion of the main campaign story it just basically like uh i mean the, the whole introduction to phantom liberty is like so me basically saying i have a way to cure you uh it basically takes that thread and runs with it and completely you can completely ignore the main campaign for cyberpunk and and that ending um that's basically uh, oh so it provides uh it provides a whole other alternate ending to even beyond like instead of continue oh i see i see i see oh that's interesting it's very interesting and i think for folks who so this is the cool thing because like for folks who have played narrative rpgs before and dlc comes out that is made as part of the game not an extension not a prequel but a but it, it is sort of like slotted in to the main campaign for the most part what would normally happen previously in narrative games is that expansion would add little tweaks and layers to the existing ending 
you're basically playing the same game and the same ending sequence. But in this game, the expansion actually adds like a completely different ending for your character as V uh, within that world. But like it ignores what you might have done in the main campaign. Like when you get the credits, you have calls from characters uh, that normally would have had a different ending in the main game. And they're basically telling you that, like they're saying, like, you know, they're saying things that seem like, Hey, you know, would have been really great if we had kept working together, or <laughs> whatever. But uh, really, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting touch. And again, like it's not something you normally get when, when content is sort of slotted in post-release. So you uh, would say save your game kind of near the end if you want to see the Phantom Liberty. Because I'm in this weird situation where I've never seen the real game's ending. Yes. And so I'm I'm continuing I'm I'm planning on continuing to play past the Phantom Liberty stuff and 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 seeing that. And uh so I would have to kind of decline the Phantom Liberty ending if there's an option to to do that and so i would need to save before that what then see the phantom liberty ending then go back load that game and then and then decline the phantom liberty ending and then keep playing is that it It, exactly so essentially what i did today is as i was sort of wrapping up in preparation for this for this chat i i i finished off the the ending to the game through phantom liberty then um and i had a save previous to that and um essentially they give you the point of no return like hey if you make this choice make sure you're done exploring create a save here um you can you can move through those motions of those conversations right up until that point of no return and then it makes a save there for you and then you can go back to that save and make and make the opposite choice of like hey you know what i'm not i don't want to do this you know let's 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 find another way you know, and that allows you to then go back into the world and, and continue your adventures. So the game is set up in a way where you can experience this ending and then sort of reload and then come and then exit out of that ending. Um, right. Because it, and it is essentially in the same sort of narrative pattern as the main game where you are. You are having a conversation with Johnny as you're sort of moving towards your choice of going towards this ending or not um so players who who have finished the main campaign will kind of know what i'm talking about uh but it's it's a really interesting way to to give players more from this expansion because the expansion does wrap up but because of the narrative reasons for that expansion making sense like v wanting to save him himself herself uh you you kind of need to take that thread and continue it even though you've completed the the main phantom liberty story you know it yeah. needs to wrap with you know v trying to to save themselves so i um, i will say like just before we move, move topics here i w- i will say there are some things that <clears throat> i find a bit annoying about the um about the dlc the two the two main ones one is kind of just like a it's a video game. I can deal with it. The other I, is a little more frustrating. The thing that's a video game, I can deal with it, is the fact that once <laughs> once uh, the concept of Phantom Liberty, for those, it's it's out there, it's, it's well known, is that the president of the new United States literally crashes in this area, Dogtown, and V, your character, for, for reasons that will remain 
uh, untold here uh, is able to communicate with them and frees and and saves them essentially in the introduction, and then you are ostensibly working for the president. So, <laughs> so like you're working for the president of of the you know, and I know it's it's a different like it's a dis- corporate dystopia. It's not like the same level of if you were working for the president today, perhaps, but then you're, you're doing gigs to steal cars, you know, like it's just very tonally. Like she could give you all this money you're given at, you're given out, you're essentially deputized. You could be given so much just by the government. And, but then you're still like out there, like running for loot drops, you know, and, and it's just, (laughs) there's, there's a, there, it's to, like Ryan's suspension of disbelief. It's the same deal for me. I, I found that as soon as it's like you're working for the president now, I'm like, okay, but yet I'm still like, I'm still walking around talking to like street trash and like, oh, can you help me with my problem? I'm like, sure, if you've got fat loot, you know, it's still, there's still some level of that, which I find a little off putting. But again, that's video games I can deal. The other thing, and this is like, it's like they essentially released a game with a noted history. We all know the release of Cyberpunk, how it was a disaster, and how they've <clears throat> tried to build it back. And then this 2.0 is actually um, <clears throat> it's about more than fixing bugs. It's about resetting the way the game kind of functions on under the hood in many ways. Some of it's the same, some of it's different. I find it feels way better in general. It takes some time for that to sink in. But there's so much stuff that is remnants of this old game and of this old way of that the game was designed. I, I think I talked about it last episode, but I mean, I've at least told you, Ryan, this in, in, in private, but like the clothing is ridiculous. Like everything is color coded like Diablo and, and like you're walking around and there's this legendary clothing everywhere. It, it, it provides no attributes anymore. It used to, but not anymore. So now it's all like you wear whatever you want, but yet all the clothing is color coded. So you see this treasure chest and it's lit up like a legendary and you open it and it's just some jacket that does nothing for you. Right. Um, and that's just like, it's just a remnant from how, how the game used to be. It's the same with guns. There's just guns and guns and guns everywhere. It's like borderlands levels of guns. And you know, they're, they're like marginally better here or there. Uh, but I'm constantly having to go in my inventory and, and fiddle around to be like, I've got too much weight. I've got too many guns because I'm just picking them all up because you sell them or dismantle them or whatever. And you're just constantly going through this garbage. And I just kind of wish that they had streamlined it a little bit, removed a lot of these guns, er- eliminated color coding for clothes. It just feels still very janky in the way a game that has evolved into something else has felt janky. Some bits are so polished and so nice and so well put together. And then other bits are like, are, are, are not. And it is funny because when you weave in and out of Dogtown, this new area, you're like, you're all of a sudden you're picking up a gig outside of Dogtown. It's, it's much less of an expense, you know, uh, an experience than the one that you pick up on the other side because that's in the DLC and it's newer. That sort of stuff, it's tough to get away from. Like you can't really do much about that. But all the stuff about like the way that that 
that items exist in the world and and like how they how, how they've re they've rebranded or rechanged you know changed a lot of the way the game works i just feel like it feels like a mess in many ways and I think that kind of works for a game like Cyberpunk, to be honest, because the whole world is a mess. And for there to be all these crazy colored items or all this junk that you don't need or like feels like the world is surrounded by junk. So why not have a bunch of junk in your inventory? But even stuff like from the original game, like food and drink, you can pick up all sorts of food and drink and it gives you little boosts. But like, I mean you have to read all this stuff and be like, oh, this gives me 60 second 5% speed boost. Or if I drink this drink, it makes me, I did, I don't eat anything. Like I use the healer, which is now like they've made it on a time loop that you can heal. It used to be you had a certain amount of, like they've streamlined some of that stuff, but not other stuff. Now there's still all this food. You go see a bartender. He's like, hey, you want to see my wares? You're like, sure. You look, there's a bunch of like, teas and energy drinks and all this shit ryan did you drink any of that stuff no no i've kind of stayed away from uh like yeah i know there's like food and stuff which gives you like xp boosts and stuff i think i've like taken naps which has given me like xp boosts and whatnot there's xp see i didn't even know there's xp boosts for me it all seems like here's a little bit more health a little bit more speed for like 60 seconds and then it runs out and you got to eat another whopper or whatever you know it it just it just felt feels so like you know oh you can get all this different food but it really doesn't do you know much much for you at all so and and of course like the way it used to work in the old build of the game is you'd pick a lot up that was medicine that you would take to 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 give you health recharges in the same for your your ram uh like your which allows you to hack your mana for lack of a better term and and now it's all different like it's different but the remnants of the old system are there and it's it anyway i would just say i'm i'm being overly critical here i'm enjoying that the experience but i would be remiss if i didn't note that like it you know if they're like 2.0 it's done and then they walk off into the sunset i would say like you know, somebody coming to this 10 years from now and being like, why is all this like this? You know, I saw it happen in real time. I know why it's like this, but like, I feel like they could have cleaned it up even further is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. And I think that's, um, that's probably like a lot of undertaking that they didn't want to kind of focus on. Like a lot of their attention has been on like upgrading these systems, but you're right. Like there is stuff left over from 1.0 through 2.0 that that is just um was features previous to 2.0 but is now kind of just uh you know extra flavor of an open world game it's not required to eat the hamburger or or drink the energy drink that you can find uh but it kind of completes the it completes the world right it allows you to feel like you're in this world but it it really is kind of like make work for for the gameplay aspect but um yeah i i think it's i think there's a lot left over there and and from previous versions of the game but i feel like for a cyberpunk 2 which is in development uh you could see them really running with the work that they've done here over the last uh three years post-launch and that doesn't even include like the development previous to that of the five or so years previous to to launch so like i think a sequel is in a good spot right because they've they've done a lot of work here and i mean one thing we haven't touched on this episode is just 
the phenomenal acting from the main characters uh, within this expansion, I think leads to um, other, other really good things to look forward to from uh, cyberpunk, uh, a sequel to cyberpunk in that, like they've really nailed that narrative feel with these characters and these conversations and uh, video games are killing it right now on that front. I just take it for granted. Now it sounds bad. You're right to call it out is, is like, but like you're, I'm, I'm not playing Spider-Man 2, but I'm, I played Spider-Man Miles Morales and Spider-Man uh, uh, PS4, like, just recently. And now I'm playing Cyberpunk. And, like, all the performances in these games that I'm playing are just uniformly excellent. And uh, they're just so good. And, and, you know, Cyberpunk, obviously, a world filled with jargon and, and different things. Uh, and it, they make it all so believable. Uh, and and these and they make characters like pop off the screen and all. Uh, but I'm just I'm at, it used to be like you'd play a video game and it might have voice acting. You'd be so excited it had voice acting. I'm like Final Fantasy X. I'm like this is the first Final Fantasy with voice acting. It's crazy. And you're just like so happy that there's there's some voice acting and it's like kicked it up a notch. But then you would make excuses like, well, this is this is good voice acting for for video games, right? Like it would always be for video games but but now it feels with these games it's just like no man this is just amazing acting yeah no they i i think you're right like video games have come a long way and it's it's almost more noticeable when you do get a game that doesn't kind of live up to the standard of like a like a triple a uh, uh adventure game and um or a triple a experience of a, of a narrative game i i think that Obviously, it's very, very expensive to build a game like this with this uh, caliber of acting and and mocap and such. So, like, not every game is going to be able to live up to this. But you're right. Like, Spider-Man Two does a really good job um, continuing that sort of trend of like high production values for uh, the acting and 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 the writing as well. But I think Phantom Liberty like takes this idea of building this spy thriller section of content that that feels it feels very cyberpunk but there's not much like this in the main game there are of course the you know intro mission where you're sort of like navigating into the kapeki the hotel i guess the main hotel kapeki plaza which i always enjoy how much uh, every time you bring it up you have you stumble over it you're like i can't say this word i just i I really enjoy like the the section of content they've built here, and it is a standalone story in the sense that, which very is very fitting when it comes to DLC because it does have that like video game trope of like we've now opened up this small area that everyone was aware of. It's not like the area suddenly like you know came into existence. It was always there. It was just walled off, and you weren't able to get to it. But now you can go into it, and narratively. Now, like when you go into it, it's you're there. And then when you leave, like characters will reference it. Like you can talk to Pan Am and Judy about being a secret agent for the NUSA and, and saving the president. But like outside of that, like the world just kind of continues to exist. And so it's it's got that video game trope of like we've, you know, bolted on a new area and like it doesn't really affect the narrative. But CD Projekt Red has done a really good job of like trying to weave it in with little touches of like, okay, the, the, the couple of main characters that you form relationships with, whether they be romantic or, or just friendships, 
you can have conversations with them about your work there. And it's just a couple extra lines, a couple of extra dialogue trees, but like it goes a long way to... Oh, really? That's awesome. I was wondering about that, actually. It's really cool. Because like, no offense, if I worked for the president, I would probably mention it to some people. Of like course. that I, you know, I would be like dropping it all the time. Hey, Judy, uh, what's <laughs> up? Uh, just letting you know I work for the president. I'm not sure if yeah. that changes things, but. Uh, I did some work yeah. for the president. I don't know now if you're impressed uh, or whatnot, but, you know. Yeah. I, she's I like, think, yeah. She's like, can you still help me with my bouncer problem? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm still on the street, even though I'm a special agent. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, now I guarantee you I will have more on Cyberpunk because I really am I, I'm not done. I'm, like, I'm, I'm really just get, um, have had a few few good sessions in Dogtown. I, I'm, but I'm, I'm really on, into it, and I feel like I haven't been spoiled anything uh, on the story. And so I, I'm looking to – forward to ha- to 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 getting to the uh, end of it and i hope to play more of the game because as i said uh, my big surprise is how much i'm loving the minute to minute gameplay and once i'm done in dogtown i'll just you know probably continue rolling through night city cool well um yeah i mean you'll have to uh, get a good chunk of it done because i i think you're on the gamers in in a couple weeks so we'll have to talk about it again uh then so hopefully you'll uh Hopefully you'll be able to catch up and we'll we'll uh, sort of wrap that conversation up. Uh, let's move into some more Dungeons content. Uh, it's probably some quick hits as we rocket towards our topic. But I wanted to, in the Halloween spirit, uh, drop a, uh, a very fitting Halloween piece of content here. And I think I'm going to surprise people in that usually I keep my zombie talk to Zombies Ate My Podcast, uh, which is another podcast I do about zombies. Um, The Walking Dead, Crofton, how long has it been since you've watched The Walking Dead? It's been a long time, like season three of The Walking Dead. I was out fairly early, like they were still at the in the in the jail, I think, at the time. And I was feeling like this show is depressing me. And uh, <laughs> and so I, I saw, and I know that there's I think season four in particular is well regarded. And then it went for like a zillion more seasons after it. Um, I, I also just want to point out before you, you go on that it is if nobody knew that you did a zombie show before now, it would be such a double take. Like this is a parenting show, obviously, or has that connection. I don't know that you mentioned the zombie show that many times uh, since we started doing this show. True. But if somebody has just been listening to this show and it's like, Ryan's got a zombie show, um, it would be. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, he does, folks. I do. It, it's very funny because when you when I think about zombies, like I'm not even that big, like that big into the zombie genre from what would typically be your entry point, which is movies like Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead. I sort of came into the genre as a newbie uh, alongside um, at the time of starting the show, my my three co-hosts. It was a, it was a big show. We had a lot of a lot of podcast shows, but they were all of varying degrees of zombie, um, you know, knowledge base uh and i was at the i was at the bottom like i I knew nothing i was resident evil video games resident evil movies and the dawn of the dead remake that's where it was where my knowledge was at so that podcast has been a bit of a journey uh, as i grew to appreciate the genre more and of of course the walking dead is is a big part of that and i know it's like it's more recent in comparison to what has come before 
and on that podcast we've really journeyed into the past and and uh and looked at some older movies but you know i i um it's funny like i hear a lot of folks talk about you know the zombie genre is overdone oh my gosh there's so much zombie content but i've always held the opinion that like no the zombie genre really isn't overdone it just has a a very degree of good zombie content if you just take the zombie content that's actually good it's very few and far between you've got like in the last you know five years you've got the last of us uh hbo um and various walking dead projects and i'm sure there are a couple of movies in there as well like it's it's not a lot of content, but then you look at superheroes and it's like, okay, you want to talk about an overdone genre. And I love the Marvel movies, but like there are other genres out there that are actually overdone. Whereas zombies are just kind of like, you know, the, right. The, <laughs> I will argue you on this in the sense that let's do it. <laughs> zombies are, are, are not like they're one type of monster. Yes. Okay. Like they're one type of creature if you will. Mm-hmm. And it, you're like, oh yeah, I'd argue that there's not enough zombie movies. I, mean, I didn't argue like, that. Wait, I just said it's it not would, overdone, but you go it, ahead. It would be like, if like the equivalent in superhero dumb would be, is if every zombie movie was a Spider-Man movie. Like, <laughs> like it's not like you can't put, cause okay. superheroes have different powers, different backgrounds. You can't compare like a, a, somebody that has one, like, a superman movie with somebody that has like one superpower like zombies are are are, you know the 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 concept is like yes maybe you can do a few things with zombies like there are different things that you you can do but generally there's the same like two or three story beats and like i will be honest i've seen a lot of zombie stuff in my day and and i've enjoyed a, a ton of it but it's really the same sort of survival stories over and over again with some that, that aspire to be like metaphors for capitalism or consumerism and that sort of thing. But then beyond that, it's like, whatever. And like dovetailing into your, your bit here, like I look at this Darren Dixon tale is a walking dead spinoff, which with one of the characters, it was like a breakout character, a character I actually knew from the mm-hmm. first seasons that I watched is somehow survived all the way through RIP Merle. But he, I look at that. I look at that series of him. What looks to be him escorting some some girl through a zombie apocalypse, and I think to The Walking Dead, and I'm like, uh, I think to The Last of Us, and I'm like, is this not the same thing again? Like, <laughs> is this not? Is this a? You're like, well, no, it's different. He has a crossbow. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm like, okay, but, yeah, no, that's a good point. So, I, so anyway, go ahead, please. No, no, I I I hear you, but I think like. Uh, my point stands that there, so there might be a lot of zombie content, but I think that there's not a lot of good zombie content. It's few and far between. And I think like another one that popped into my head that I actually really liked was um, army of the dead, which was the uh, Zack Snyder Netflix movie with uh, Dave Bautista. But you are right. Like it it is a genre that focuses on a set of rules around a, a specific monster and occasionally they introduce some wrinkles of like, you know, uh, with The Last of Us, it's it's cordyceps based. Uh, the Walking Dead, everyone's infected. As soon as you die, you become a zombie. It's you don't have to be bit. Like it it has these 
wrinkles. But yeah, like if you take every piece of zombie content that comes out every couple of weeks, it's like, okay, yeah, it's overdone. It's it's a, it's a very busy genre. But but I would argue that like not all the content is created equally. But the reason I wanted to bring up Daryl Dixon, and I know like I did the same thing you did, where I judged it based on you know the premise, the images, and and a couple trailers. And even like the first few, you know, 15 minutes of the show, I remember as I was prepping for the podcast, I was talking to Lou, my co-host, and I was like, man, I don't know. I just watched the first 10 minutes and it really doesn't feel like anything special. Like this is going to be rough. Um, and I kind of put it aside and had to do some other stuff. And and eventually I came back to it because I did need to talk about it on the show. And I'm here to say that it's like, it's probably my favorite piece of Walking Dead content that I've seen in a long time. And that could be the fact that I will acknowledge before Crofton, you know, points this out. It could be the fact that I have watched every piece of walking dead content because of the podcast. And because I enjoy the show and the franchise that I might think this is the best in the sense, like it's, it's doing something different. You've got Daryl Dixon, this character that is beloved from the first 11 seasons of the walking dead. And he's been transported to a completely different location. This has been something I've been saying for years. We need the Walking Dead outside of America. They need to do something different. Show us a piece of the world that we haven't seen before uh, in this universe. And we get that with the with the country of France. This this show is completely, for the most part, set in France. Uh, Daryl Dixon washes up ashore, and that is explained uh, not right off the bat. So it feels a little silly in the context of of your knowledge of The Walking Dead, but. I feel like if you were to if you were a fan of The Walking Dead and you wanted to to jump back in with a with a short uh it's only 6 episodes so it's very digestible uh this would be a good jumping in point cuz you really only need to know Daryl and the fact that he has sort of gone exploring and has found himself, you know, transported across the ocean to to a different continent. Um and the story they're telling here in France is very interesting in the sense that it's 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 something they haven't explored in, in in the rest of the Walking Dead. Yes, he is helping a child cross uh, France, but he's also trying to get home. Part of his journey is trying to get home, and and these folks, this new faction that he's met, that includes this child uh, and and killer nuns as well. Um, it, it all kind of is a complete package of him trying trying to get back home. But they do some really cool stuff uh, with France itself. There's, um, of course, the Eiffel Tower, but there are other nods to the fact that France is centuries older than America. They they make reference to that. There's a lot of like they do a lot of on uh, uh, the locales like it's all shot in France and they use like the real world locations. And it's just it's it just feels different. So if you're a fan of The Walking Dead and you want something different within that same franchise, I've. I'm here to say, like, surprisingly, the Daryl Dixon spinoff is is really good. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm surprised I both Lou and I were very surprised to, to say just that, because honestly, we were going in thinking like, man, this is a bit of a cash grab. Like, why is Daryl in France? I get what I get you doing a Daryl spinoff, but <laughs> why, what, what's going on here? But it makes sense. It works. 
Oh, it makes sense. It, uh, oh, why is the most southern rednecky guy in France? How just okay? Just out of curiosity, like sure. I, I don't want you to tell me anything. I but and if listeners really don't want to know this, and if it's a big hidden secret, then please, you know, like fast forward maybe a minute or so. But Ryan, how does he in a zombie apocalypse <laughs> wasteland get from America to France? Okay. Like crossing an ocean, how does he do it? So, so this is take a boat. <laughs> so in the world of the walking dead there are organizations that have oh, resources okay, that are and this is not a spoiler this is actually not how it happens but the world sets up the fact that there are there there are still modes of transportation that you would think uh wouldn't exist like a plane crossing the ocean that doesn't make a lot of sense there isn't like that size of architecture still around but like boats have been used for centuries right. uh, i don't know if you know this but boats have been around a lot longer than you and i i guess like why would this guy this southern redneck in the apocalypse be like i'm gonna take a boat to france he is kidnapped I mean, he's he's, okay. he's 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 transported against his will uh and that's that's all I'll say. Like, look. That no, you know what? That's enough. That's okay. good. He was he was kidnapped, works for me, and that there are boats. That's fine. You, okay. you you're Nailed I'm it. like you're I'm back like, in. It, in terms of suspension of disbelief, I'm back in. Speaking of back in, Ryan, um, I'm also back into the after party, which longtime listeners may remember that I heavily recommended season one of this show, the after party. It's on Apple TV Plus. Um, my wife and I are watching the second season now, now that only murders in the building is done. I was like, well, the after party's back. It's another cozy murder type show like that. Um, the concept of the after party is that there uh, is a murder and, and that uh, a detective interviews a series of suspects and each suspect's interview um, becomes an episode of the show in which they recollect the events that happened uh, leading up to the murder, except each of their episodes takes the form of a style of movie. So, uh, for instance, you know, one might tell it like a film noir, might one might tell it like a heist movie. Uh, there was an episode we just watched that that is clearly a takeoff of Wes Anderson films, uh, which was pretty funny. Um, and so there's every episode is interesting. And in the first season, they did this to great effect. Season three's uh, musical episode was a standout um, of that first season. And so going into season two, I went in with similar trepidation to Ryan in the Daryl Dixon show, whereas I'm a fan of the overall property. I, I really enjoyed the first one. Did not know if we needed a second one. Did not know how they were going to get there because the first after party season is a high school reunion with all these folks. All these characters are, um, you know, known to each other. And like, so is it going to be a whole new cast of characters? If so, how is I going to feel? I was going to compare them to the original cast. Uh, is it just the detective that's going to be between the two? Like, how are they going to do it? 
And um, they did it kind of cleverly, whereas there's a character, uh, a couple of characters that are kind of more main characters of the season of the first season that are point of view characters a little bit. And another murder happens in in their personal lives and they bring in the detective from the first season. But every other cast member is new. So in the first season, as I said, it was a high school reunion. In the second season, it is a wedding. Uh, and the after party of a wedding, um, and uh, and uh, I it is good. It, it, we're really enjoying it. We're going to see it all the way through. I don't think it captures lightning in the bottle to the same degree that the first season did. Also, the fact that they change out so many characters um, means that you miss some of these characters from the first season. Ben Schwartz was a standout as Jasper in the first season. He's not in this season. Um, you know, like uh, this season though has like Ken, Ken Yong from C C community in the hangover films uh, and, uh, and uh, John Cho uh, from Harold and Kumar amongst other things. So th there are some big names and they are doing good bits and funny bits. Um, but, uh, and I am, I am like, I'm in on the, murder mystery like I, I do want to figure it out it is more absurd than the previous season for example in the previous season um when everybody would provide their recollection the movies uh, the movie format they would take is always different like a character might provide a, a, their recollection in the you know david fincher zodiac seven suspense thriller another character might be a musical high school musical st glee style, but all the characters are wearing the same clothes, no matter what version. They're not remembering those details differently. Whereas in the second season, depending on who's doing the recollection, they're completely dressed differently. They've gone to town. Like somebody will present it like Bridgerton and they're all wearing Victorian garb. And then the next episode, somebody's presenting it like a Wes Anderson film and they're they're all wearing the and they're all wearing Wes Anderson. It's balanced with stuff that's happening in the present. Like the whole episode isn't a recollection. Um but you know it it, it depends. It uh it, the episodes vary in, in in tone and quality, and you might be in for a heist movie more than you might be in for a Wes Anderson spoof. So, depends what the episode is as well. So, I we'll see if it sticks to the landing. I would just say that, like, I still strongly recommend the hang uh, the after party season one. Uh, season two seems to be pretty good so far, but I don't. I I would be surprised. If I ended up liking it as much as this is the first season, I, you know, it's just one of those things. The novelty of the gimmick has has waned a little bit. And uh, and yeah, the after party itself is kind of like the after of a wedding, a lot of family members, a lot of past grievances, that sort of stuff. Whereas the high school reunion aspect was just a little bit more fun, I think, in that way. Right. So anyway. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, it, it's been something that that's uh, Ashley and I have had sort of on to watch next list, and uh, we actually got back to um, Yellow Jackets because we were holding on to season two, and we we're like, oh, we should probably finish that up. And man, that is a show that um, is a tough watch and a very tough to recommend. It's a good <laughs> yeah, show, but you know, it's the what was it? It's the uh, the the soccer cannibal players. cheerleaders. 
they're not cheerleaders, but they are. They are. It's a high school uh, soccer team, and they are. Yes, Ryan. Uh, they all taste the same going down. God, terrible. Um, but yes, it's. Uh, I think after party season two might be next on our list because uh, unfortunately Loki season two didn't stick with Ashley. Uh, she she watched season one with me, but I got the sense that season two was a little too multiversal confused, even though the first season had that as well, but it was very contained to the TVA style yeah. um, stuff. But season two is very much, we're in the multiverse saga now. Uh, so it's very like timey, wimey what's going on. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's not, it's not necessarily gelling with her. So I think after party might be what we watch. After party is really like, it's one of those like I would recommend to anyone, especially season two is even like kind of a, a lighter lift than season one where season one, you know, it's a high school reunion. So everybody is of the same age, right? Uh, in season one, they're all, you know, 10 years or 20 years or whatever removed from high school. Whereas in season two, uh, you know, it because it's a wedding. There's like a lot of a, a lot of different age ranges and different things. I just think it makes it more appealing to a to a wider audience in, in a weird way. Um, that said, just in case anybody just wants to watch season two for whatever reason, you can without really losing any. Like, there's the the main character. Uh, the main characters have a pre existing relationship, but it's not overly complicated. They're dating. You know that they're dating. It's fine. You know they've been through a murder before. That's it. You can jump right into season two. Again, it's a whole new cast of characters. It's a whole new plot. I don't know why you would do that, but but whatever. Hey, you can. You can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, before we chat about Extra Life, I'm curious. You've uh, played Luigi's Mansion 3 again. Is oh, this yeah. getting into the Halloween season? Yeah. So it's like almost an annual tradition at this point. I think we might have missed last year, but I just wanted to mention Luigi's Mansion 3 again. I I know it's it's been a while since I mentioned on the show, but I've had such a good time with this game because this is like our third playthrough of it, third and fourth simultaneously, because I am playing it with Clara, who is five years old. And this is the first game that she's playing through pretty much with me. You know, she's Luigi. I'm Luigi. We're playing through the game. And then Gwen, meanwhile, is also playing through the game herself, this time solo. She And she she's, you know, it used to be that she was my Guiji, right? Like she's grown up into playing the game herself. And every once in a while she gets to a hard spot and I come in as her Guiji. I know right now, if you have not played Luigi Mansion 3, you're like, why does he keep saying Guiji over and over? <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? That's a good point. Guiji is an... If you've seen Ghostbusters 2 where they get the ooze, Guiji is like a creature made of ooze that you keep in your backpack that looks like Luigi when he comes out. And and it essentially allows you to play two-player co-op. But it is but it is amazing for kids. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why that is. Um, but number one is that it does not have a 3D camera. So 
the game, you're always looking at kind of like sets of these different rooms in a giant hotel, and you're moving your character through these rooms, but the camera does not turn around your character. So for a child, uh, they just have to worry about the one joystick that controls their character, um, and they never get confused by where the camera is moving. This is also fantastic for uh, you know significant others or people who don't play many video games like they understand the idea of like what they're looking at it's like you're moving a character through a sitcom set almost you know so that's great and then other thing is that Louis, uh, luigi has can take damage from the ghosts and different things it's a ghostbusters game like you're sucking up ghosts into this the, with this vacuum cleaner it's pretty fun um but uh, the Gooigi character, who, again, goo creature in your backpack that looks like Luigi, is invincible. Um, like, invent, you know, Gooigi steps in water or Gooigi takes a little bit of damage. He's, he explodes into a pile of goo, but immediately is in, in the backpack and uh, then can come out again. And you can easily go into the backpack whenever you want. So it is great for kids. If they're scared, they can jump in the backpack and they can stay in the backpack. Then they want to come out. Boom. They click a, a thumbstick. They can come out and then they explore a little bit. The one thing is jumping in and out of the backpack involves clicking the right thumbstick, which is a little hard for a little hand to do to click the, the thumbstick buttons. Even on a pro controller, you got to like click it down and it's twice click to 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 go in and stuff but clara is getting it and she really really likes that level of control sometimes she wants a break she jumps in the backpack Guigi, uh, luigi's mansion is about going through this haunted house haunted hotel floor by floor and busting ghosts is really what it comes down to but it the animation is such that it's like the mario movie like it, it's like it's very cinematic they they do so well at communicating the story and the little spooky ghost each floor has a theme and the themes get more uh, crazy as it goes on. Like it starts and it's just like the restaurant floor. And then the next thing you know, you're on the pirate ship floor, the Egyptian floor, whatever. And, and there's mummy ghosts and booby traps and all of that. And so, yeah, anyway, it's just it, like, A, it's great seasonally, but it's just a fantastic game. And I know Nintendo is remaking um, Luigi's Mansion 2 or, or doing an HD version of it. Uh, for next summer, I really wish it had been out this year. I know it's it, it was it was trapped on the 3DS, which isn't great for collaborative play. I don't think there's a Guigi in Luigi's Mansion 2, which is unfortunate because that's like what allows you to play the co-op. Uh, but I'm still really excited for when that game comes out. If they announce the Luigi's Mansion 4 tomorrow, this is a game series I could not have given a shit about before playing Luigi's Mansion 3. And now I would just say, like, I would be, I would pop bigger for Luigi's Mansion 4 than almost any other game. And yes, part of that is the experience I'm having playing with my kids. But part of it is just, man, it is a damn good game. And uh, you can go back to previous episodes way back when, where I detail all the stuff that makes it a great game. But it has some of the best collectibles that I think in any game. It's got, like, just all sorts of secrets, all sorts of fun. Just fantastic game. So I'm actually every night I'm like playing two versions of the game. Before supper, I play a bit with Clara. And then after supper, I, I often play a bit with Gwen. And uh, on the weekend, we played a bunch. And they're both almost in the same place in the game. It is very funny. Uh, and so I expect this weekend we will roll credits on Luigi's Mansion 3 twice. Nice. That's really cool. 
Yeah, uh, I know uh, Caden was asking about that game because he was he was interested. I remember when it first came out, I think we played sort of uh, on the couch a little bit and he he enjoyed uh, he enjoyed playing as Gooigi. So it might be something to boot back up because I know the kids have been very interested in video games and we're always looking for uh, a fun experience. Now, Crofton. We had, speaking of video games and a fun experience, we had an event a couple weeks ago, the Event Dads for Extra Life. We had our N64 event. And for folks who are wondering, you can go to tiny.cc slash donate Dads if you want to support Extra Life, which is a great charity that supports Children Miracle Network hospitals around the world. Crofton, myself, Whirlwind, and Travis all played uh, the N64 app on the Nintendo Switch Online service, playing various N64 games. Uh, I won, by the way, in case anyone was wondering. Crofton got last, if anyone's wondering. Hey, whoa, first off, spoilers. Why would somebody go watch the stream? You've already revealed what may have happened. We don't uh, know for sure. Unless you guessed. watch... Uh, <laughs> just for... I, look, I don't like to... I don't ever in life like to make excuses, but... Uh, <laughs> But here's here uh, comes an excuse. But Ryan had a Nintendo 64 controller. I'm just yes. saying. Yes, it's and, true. And uh, so, you know, uh, like, what do you call those games on the iPhone where you spend money? Like pay, pay to, to win. win. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan is like the pay to win equivalent. And I'm the, uh, I am the just for the kids equivalent. It's true. I know? do remember Crofton specifically saying, previous to the stream, on the stream, after the stream, that instead of buying an N64 controller for this event to be properly prepared, uh, he would donate the equivalent of an N64 controller I'm to still, the charity. So. I, did, I did not say that. You're <laughs> twisting my words. I am going to give $40, which I still owe, for finishing fourth. And oh. you are going to give $10 because you finished first. That was – right. is that what we said? I yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, that's what we said, and I am okay. still good for that. As soon as I figure right. out how to do it, I'm going to be all over it. I'm, I, I think I go to tiny dot bitly no sla- <laughs> tiny dot cc slash donate event ads. We'll have links in the show notes. Perfect. I will, I will also send a link directly to Crofton, uh, so that he knows how to do it. Even though he does it every year, he's, he's look. I give Crofton a hard time, but he's you are a great supporter of the cause. We really appreciate you, uh, you know, joining us for some N64 games. I know they're not everyone's favorites, but we did have a lot of fun. We played um, Mario Party is still bullshit. I mean, we, we gathered that, even though I Whatever. won. Whatever. It I was still fun. Agree. It was fun, but it still ended with, with a bunch of bonus stars. Some of them weren't fun, though. Like, some no. of them are not as, as good. And, like, I, I talk mad smack on this podcast about being good at GoldenEye. GoldenEye is... Like first off on the pro controller, it just is borderline does not work. Like I, I couldn't figure out how to play it at all. And, um, and secondly, it's just like, as a game, it is, and there's been a lot of ink spilled on this. It has not held up in terms of uh, a gameplay quality and such, you know, it's weird playing a FPS like GoldenEye because like there was the Doom games that would be all on 2D plane. And then there were the Halo games that were d- dual thumbstick. And GoldenEye is one of those few shooters that 
existed on console between those two points. And so it's like you can shoot, but also there's auto aim, but also you can look up and down and hold the button to aim, but also it's all weird. So it did not hold up as well. But like I thought all the Nintendo Wii games, like from Mario, we played Mario Tennis, we played Mm -hmm. Mario, even Mario Kart 64. Like if there had been no Mario Kart after Mario Kart 64, I would be like, man, this game still holds up amazingly well. But the problem is that there has been other Mario Karts and they've they've refined the turning and some of it further so that when you go back to 64, you're like, oh God, this is annoying or this bit is annoying. Um, but if it had it been the last, it, like it's so much more playable than the SNES version. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I mean to your to your note on Mario Tennis, that was kind of a late entry as we were kind of moving our way through the games pretty quick, and we decided to play Mario Tennis. That was the first entry in the Mario Tennis franchise, but it's also the most simplest. It doesn't have like a lot of the extra like super moves and and stuff. And uh, we had a lot of fun playing that one. We we played doubles. And, um, it, it was a good pick up and play and we, we had a blast. Like it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And honestly, the N64 is a, is a platform that for me exists as like peak nostalgia for video games. It was the first console that we owned as a family where myself and my three brothers were all able to play at the same time. Um, the only thing missing from this event was our ability to play smash brothers. Like I hope Nintendo, finds a way to make that work i'm i'm assuming what's holding them back is likely the online play it worked for all the other games why wouldn't it work for that i don't know i mean that's just that's the only reason i can think of 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 them not putting it out right away as like a seller for their subscription service well they do also like to have those big like you know like releases they don't release everything at once and a lot and the n64 library like let's face it is pretty pretty thin um so so i mean they might just be waiting for a big uh i i look i i will say that um that in terms of nostalgia what's interesting about the 64 is is the i have tremendous nostalgia for it as well there's like a big weird venn diagram despite our age difference overlap whereas me it was my college dorm console so i was in college and we, we would go and we'd play golden eye uh and uh mostly golden i also like the for for whatever reason the mortal Kombat trilogy on n64 and and mario kart and stuff so we we had a bunch of you know, uh, gaming. And then when I worked for Nintendo briefly, um, the Nintendo 64 was the console that was, I, I was there for the launch of the GameCube. I worked during that time, but, but the N64 was still there. Like perfect dark was being released like late in the life cycle. So I have a tremendous amount of nostalgia too, but it's from a different point in my life for you. It was childhood. And for me, it was more like young adult, hood like going out in the world like i could buy it was the first console i bought with my own money you know yeah uh, do you want to know what my college slash university out in the world platform was no no because i feel like i'm going to punch you in the face i'm look i am gonna guess (laughs) i'm gonna guess that it's like the ps3 or the xbox 360 or something yeah i mean that's that's oh my god I mean, like that's, uh, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's fine. Some people look. Some people listening to this podcast uh, may have been introduced through, you know, our our recent 
foray into discord or even even just listening to our show they might say like their their uh, platform was you know uh was the switch or the 3ds or or the ps4 like it doesn't matter just to be fair ryan this is dungeons and diapers the big thing is that we have children we're balancing these things with it there's i would say like if you're looking at the demographics of who has kids True. I mean, I I would say that you're like maybe on the young like I I I don't I don't know if it's that I'm old or you're young. Maybe it's a mixture of both. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Well, before we move on, uh, just we do have extra life. It's uh, tiny.cc/slash/donate-of-endads. That'll take you to our team page. Our next big event is of course game day, which is Saturday, November fourth. I'm going to be streaming all day. Uh, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, I'm going to have a bunch of guests joining me. We're going to play a bunch of games. Travis and Whirlwind uh, has a uh, are going to play uh, Sackboy, a big adventure uh, with me in the evening. Crofton, I think, is uh, going through the permission forms to play uh, later in the evening as well. Is that going to make you uncomfortable, Ryan? <laughs> I was. No, uh, no, it's not. The The reason we're playing Sackboy is originally it was going to be our game for Avendads, but Crofton uh, once again said, I'd rather just donate uh, the equivalent of buying Sackboy than, than buying it. So again, just N64 controller, Sackboy, looking forward to that. The kids are looking forward to your generous contribution. Um, but yeah, join us for game day. Crofton might be there in spirit, maybe in person. We'll see. All right, let's move into the diapers. We have our main topic uh, this episode, which is bedtimes. And um, Crofton, you uh, you put this one forward because it sounds like there's been a a shift of power for uh, bedtimes. How how have things been going for you? It's it's funny because I think that any parent will tell you like that there's steps forward with regards to bedtime, and then there's regressions, and like it pretty much goes all the way until your kids are, you know, independently going to bed. But then at, at, at a certain point, th- then you have to discipline them into going to bed. It's like, look, you got to go to bed, that sort of thing. I'm getting there with like Gwen still knows that she's a bedtime, but she's now nine years old. That's like, that's getting up there. She's, she, you know, she's, she's getting up there. She's not scared anymore necessarily. Like she just wants uh, to stay up, which whatever fair enough i i get where she's coming from but uh and then but meanwhile my youngest claire is five and she still is scared uh and uh, you know requires certain things at bedtime um so all this to say is that bedtime for us ryan takes a fair amount of time in the evening like it's it's a it's an element of kind of contention in the sense that we have had moments since the kids have been born where bedtime was um the kids fell asleep relatively quick they were tired uh we had a good routine or whatever uh and uh and then we were both free as of like 8 p.m in the evenings that is no longer the case so it is essentially um you know a negotiation with kids it's like trying to force them to try to fall asleep, not look at books. Clara will not fall asleep unless an adult is on the same floor as her, which is on the second floor, meaning that if we wanted to watch, my wife and I wanted to watch a show in the basement, we cannot do that. Like stuff like the Steam Deck is great for that because I can be up on my bed on the Steam Deck 
as I wait for Clara to go to sleep. But it means, Ryan, that we have my wife and I essentially whoever and whomever of the two of us and we divide it is doing bedtime that night kind of is screwed for the for in terms of in terms of like unless they're able to play something portably or like watch something on the phone or ipad or whatever upstairs like by the time they're done it's going to be like 9 30 the older kid's still going to be up She's going to want to talk. She's like, is Clara asleep? Can I talk to you about something? I can't sleep. Uh, and then you're like, oh, God, Gwen, go to sleep or whatever. And then, you, you you know, you go downstairs. So it's just it's been it's been challenging uh, for us. And my wife and I just essentially revisited our bedtime schedule for like how we were handling who was handling bedtime because the person who does not do bedtime is in charge of essentially getting ready for the next day which involves making lunches uh taking care of the cats and the litter box and all of that sort of stuff so i mean that's not particularly fun but it's done if you're pretty punchy on it it's done pretty quick and then you have your evening right and you can do some stuff so um it, you know, it, it is it is what it is, but I just find that like uh, bedtime right now is at a point of like uh, with Clara in particular, um, I've started to institute like lights out where I say, OK, you can look at books for X amount of time and then then it's lights out um, and then Clara will like come in like three times to see me in my room. And when Jesse does bedtime she Claire because Clara wants to sleep in our room the five-year-old does we have a mat on the floor from Ikea where she will find her way to that mat if even if she falls asleep in her bed she will find her way to that mat halfway through the night um and and Gwen uh and uh and with Jess with Jess is doing bedtime she'll often just start on the mat she'll be like I want to sleep in here with you mommy and and mom will say you know sure uh, and uh, that will often, you know, whatever gets her asleep quicker in the end of the day. And uh, we're looking for her to get to asleep as quick as possible. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at right now, Ryan. It's like we have essentially shifts. Uh, it means that my wife and I are both not free in the evening very often. Like if we don't get a babysitter or like, you know, if they fall asleep at 930 and I come down, like I said, we watched the after party. Essentially, I came down after doing bedtime yesterday. It was like 930. She was watching a show. I asked her if she wanted to pivot to, to watching the show that we've been watching together. She was interested. We switched. We were able to watch like an episode or two, I think two episodes of the after party. And then we went we went to bed. But like that's like where we find the time to do stuff as a couple if we don't get a babysitter because of how much time bedtime is taking lately. How does it work for you guys right now? Yeah. Um and, and the interesting part about bedtimes is like uh, from what I've experienced, you know, in conversations with fellow parents is that everyone's bedtime routine is different. There is no, you know, uh, single way of doing it. Um, every conversation I have with other parents is like, oh, yeah, we do this. And and I'm never surprised when when folks have a different routine. Uh, but I sometimes find people are surprised by our routine. It's it's. Our, our routine is like, uh, well, we do have the three kids. Kate and Abby are very close together. They share a room. Their routine is very similar in that they are both asleep before 7 p.m. 
Um, we have bath around six, six thirty. They're in bed, and then I sort of lay in their room, and then they fall asleep, and I leave within fifteen minutes. Um, Holy shit! I know, I know. And again, when I say that, again, you have that reaction. Like I, I get it. Uh, now we'll come around to the idea. We'll come around to the conversation of like why that sometimes backfires. But um, Isabel, you know, being the newer addition to the family has a different uh, bedtime routine. But essentially, Ashley and I are both on bedtime duty. But Ashley always uh, takes care of Isabel unless she's out for either running errands or visiting her parents. Sometimes she'll duck out and then I have to put all three down at the same time in two separate rooms. Essentially, uh, Ashley will put Isabel down and Isabel is usually asleep. I usually have to go in and and check on them. I'm usually everyone's out by eight o'clock. So like the whole bedtime routine between six, which is bath time to eight, when normally everyone's, you know, Ashley and I are both downstairs and able to do. So we are we are basically free by eight. However, the kids are up fairly early. And I know we've talked about this on the show before. Like the kids are up at between 5.30 and 6.30. So we have the opposite issue where we are like having to find creative things for the kids to do that isn't just screen time. Like, hey, go to... On weekends, the kids are allowed to go downstairs and watch TV. They have their own sort of living space in in the basement. They can turn the TV on and load up Netflix and watch what they want. But we try to limit that to the weekends. Uh, during the week, you know, we say you got to stay in your room till 630, whether you're reading your book or playing with your stuffies or what have you. Um, so we have the opposite issue, like where your kids are when is staying up later right. to do stuff. My kids are up at 530 sometimes like I can't sleep. So what do I do? And it's like sometimes it's like stay in your room and and read a book because Caden will read. He he reads like a fiend. He loves it. Um, Abby will sort of just, you know either do her homework downstairs or, or, or go play with the toys or something. But it, that is the struggle for us is sometimes, you know, if they wake up early, they're up early. And sometimes it's sometimes like, okay, well let's pretend it's the weekend. Go, go have a little bit of screen time so that we can wake up at a, at not five o'clock. But for the most part, they're pretty good to stay in their room. But bedtime is very much like a, a set routine that wraps up in about an hour. I know that's not going to be like that forever. Like it will change and we will likely get to the point where, where the kids want to stay up. But Caden is just, he's done like Caden and Abby seven o'clock toast. They're out. They cannot stay up any later. And if they do, it like actually makes it so they wake up earlier the next day. They do not sleep in either. So it's very critical for us as parents to get these kids into bed by seven. It's like gremlins. Like if they're not in bed <laughs> by seven, they uh, they they turn into monsters. And you see that we'll, we'll be at dinners. You know, Ashley's parents, my parents, we have a rule like dinner has to be served by 530 so we can get home at the latest eight o'clock to get these kids to bed. And even that is pushing it like that's breaking our rule of bedtime so that we can stay a little later at at the parents and they're always wondering like dinner is always late as it is. It's a big dinner. I don't, I don't fault them for that, but like dinner is always a tough thing cooking for more than five people. I get it. I struggle to cook for five people like (laughs) on a good day. I'm not a good cook. So I get it. Not faulting that, but honestly, like 
it, it I what I will fault is like people always surprised at like as seven o'clock rolls around, it's like, why are your kids acting so crazy? It's like, it's because this is their bedtime and you just fed them dessert. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Guys? Right. Yeah. And yeah, every yeah. time it's that conversation of like, why are your kids acting like, like crazy people bouncing off the walls? It's like, yeah, it's because this is their bedtime. But see, the thing is, is that people forget. And uh, yes. so older, the older generation forget and the younger generation don't know. So like I'll give the example, and this is a few years dated, but my, um, my, my cousin Morgan, who's, you know, my age had, didn't have kids yet. And she, uh, she's, she's great about this now. Like, cause we're, we're close now and, and, and they've, they live nearby and we do stuff with them and their kid or her, her significant other and her kids. But we would go to Thanksgiving with the extended family. And essentially it's, as you say, it took too long for them to kind of like get their, get the meal on the table. And we had at the time a very, you know, very young uh, kid. I think it was Gwen. She was, you know, you know, maybe two or something. And, and we had to, we had to get back for bedtime and we're just like, give us a Tupperware container. We've got to go. And, and I didn't know this, but my cousin Morgan reached out to me after she had kids because we were just, sorry to contextualize. We were sleep training at that time. We were, we were trying to get our kid to fall asleep by herself. We were trying to, you know, like um, uh, be firm and consistent in sleep like ryan was you know you were just talking about and so essentially she reached out to me years later after she had had a kid and said crofton i want you to know that when you kept leaving early like thanksgiving christmas i made fun of you guys um (laughs) and i was wrong and uh, I I was very very wrong, <laughs> and um, it is just very nice to. She didn't have to tell me. I never knew that, you know. She didn't have to tell me. She's like, I, you know, this is. But but like I I knew it was annoying. Like we were gonna sit down. We see each other like so few times a year. We're about to sit down for the big meal. We we've, we've set the table. Every everybody, you know, we've told people multiple times during the evening. Hey, we have to, you know, we have to get went to bed for this time so like and then of course of course uh everything's too slow and then finally you know jess is like i i think we just gotta go and i'm like we're just gonna go and they're like oh you should take a tupperware at least and i'm like yeah no all right we'll do that and then we're you know we're we do the bedtime and we're eating our thanksgiving meal out of you know cool tupperware on the table you know uh separate from the family but like that that is that is a sacrifice we made to ensure that our kid and like yes some some listeners are like like one what's one night or what's one night at that time at that time when we were actively sleep training one night was a deal breaker like it would set us so far back right and like it was just it was not we weren't willing to make you know, that sacrifice. And now with older kids, one night is not that big a deal. If we were out at a party and it stays late, like my kids would stay, we would stay as long as we felt like it, you know, felt comfortable, especially around the holidays. We'll, we'll stay, you know, quite late. And, and, and Ryan, you raised an excellent point about how we have different schedules. Like yours are early to rise. Mine are late to rise. I'm in charge of getting my kids up every morning and it is brutal. Their school starts at eight. And so it's like, I've got to get them up 
and we get we're lucky we live very close to the school so i i, I my alarm is at seven um, but we've made the lunches the night before we should be all set to roll like get up get dressed brush your teeth let's go 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 walk to school be there for eight but like it's brutal waking them up in the morning i'm like God damn it. Like I'm shaking Claire. I'm like, wakey, wakey, wake up. I've started playing music in Gwen's ear because she's the worst. She gets like busy. She's like, she's like, go away, go away. And she's like yelling at me. I'm like, I don't want to be this guy. Uh, and uh, like I was playing um, uh, uh, yesterday. It was Monday and she's, she really didn't want to get go- going. So I played a, there's a song from the Boomtown Rats called I Hate Mondays or I Don't Like Mondays. And I was, I was playing it like all, from my phone in her ear. She's like, turn that off, uh, you know. And, oh, wow. Uh, so I was really, really like trying to get them going. And then, of course, in the evening, it's the opposite problem of like shut up and go to sleep. Um, and, uh, and then on the weekends, of course, they're up like at – 637 or they're up at like Clara in particular is up super early. They know it's like, woo, fun time. Let's get going. So we've been trying to do as you have, like be like, no, go downstairs. But you know, we each have a Jess and I each have a day we get to sleep in on the weekend and the other one takes the kids. What that means is that the kids, you know, can entertain themselves up until like maybe 730. And then they need they need like especially Clara needs needs an adult to get up with her right yeah. so but like during the during the school day if i if i didn't wake her up she would probably sleep well past that you know she's like dead on school days it's just anyway it yeah. is what it is i was uh i was gonna say uh kudos to morgan for for following up because honestly like I, I know a lot of people might have that realization later on but it it takes uh uh, a really good person to actually follow up and and ad- admit um, admit that to you, and I, I think that's awesome. Especially especially when I didn't know about it, right? Yeah. Like, and I that's didn't... that was going to be my other point. Second of all, it usually takes a friend to clip a podcast to know that someone's making fun of you behind your back, right? So, like, that's really nice of Morgan to <laughs> to, to do that. Um, but yeah, it's like I said, like every kid has a different sleep routine, and you're right. Like Ashley and I have had the conversation of like we make. We make um, we make exceptions to the bedtime rule for for family gatherings, important family gatherings like you know Thanksgiving and and Christmas, like the big ones, you know weddings, funerals, that sort of thing. But um, we do try to limit like the if we're doing like hey let's just get together and do a thing. We usually aim for like around lunchtime, and and that's where we'll we'll say like you know to kind of avoid the amount of exceptions we have to make because if we didn't folks would it just it would be every other weekend and it'd just be a lot but um for for major occasions we do we do make the exception my struggle always is like you know um i i i can't i can't control my kids uh if they have dessert at seven o'clock i just i always i just say to them look if you feed them dessert at seven o'clock that's your own doing so uh <laughs> you're just gonna have to deal with that um but they're usually good to go to bed you know no problem um so yeah i I, we went to like i know i mentioned this on the podcast recently but i went to montreal uh overnight one time for my anniversary and i got my my mom to take care of the kids and she had to do bedtime and uh she um you know like she wants us to think that everything went well so we've asked her but she said oh yes it was great everything was good 
but I know from Gwen and Clara that it was a disaster, right? And uh, and the main the main thing is is and like that's on us a little bit in that we don't go go out often. I have so, a visitor here. Sorry, what's going on? Speaking of bedtime, aren't you supposed to be in bed? Nah. <laughs> All right. Good night. Oh, she's distracted by the dog. I heard seven p.m. Yeah. 7 p.m. You're not supposed to be out of bed until 7. What are you doing? <laughs> All right. Take the dog. Go to bed. Sorry, Zoe. You've been sacrificed to the... Okay, go ahead. Good night, Abby. 7 p.m., you lying bastard. Oh, what's this? Oh, okay. Good night. Don't worry. The kid can't hear Love me you. say lying bastard. No, yeah, you can swear all you want. She can't hear you. Uh, yeah, so she's she she just woke up, and and that's funny. Abigail, um, Abigail's kind of Isabel will wake up in the middle of the night, but she always wants Ashley, unless Ashley, unless she knows Ashley isn't around. In which I go in and it's like Ashley, or I don't say I say Mom's not here. I'm covering bedtime. I'm covering you tonight, and he and she's like, okay, yeah, I believe you. But if she knows Ashley's in the other room, she will like refuse. Like, nope. I know mommy's in the other room. You go get mommy. You you are not going to appease me. But Abigail, she actually woke up uh, in the middle of the night, uh, I think last week. And I was downstairs. I was waiting for Ashley to come back from her parents. So I was just watching TV. It was like 11 o'clock. Uh, I was actually watching uh, Daryl Dixon. <laughs> so I had to turn it off. But Abigail just hung out with me on the couch for about a half hour. We watched a bit of Ahsoka uh, for a little bit. And... Uh, but it, so she's really good. Like if she wakes up in the middle of the night or stays up a little later, she's usually not the problem the next day. Like she can handle that interruption. And, and I knew she wasn't going to go back to bed. I was, my choices were like, I go up there and, you know, chill in the bedroom for like a half hour until she falls back asleep or just kind of hang out for a little bit. So she's pretty good, but yeah, she's, she just, I guess she woke up. Maybe I'm podcasting too loudly uh, or Ashley's on the phone. I, I don't know, but. Anyways, what were we talking about? You were you were you were talking about you were heading into something there. Just to close out a little bit, the um, the I, I think uh, I I'd like to hear because I know I, I you know I'd like to to get listeners solicit solicit listener feedback on on tips for bedtimes because bedtimes, as you've mentioned, very based on age very based on um, like amount of kids you have if they're if what their circadian rhythm is if they're morning people evening people what your lifestyles are like there's so much there but there's some common denominators and like I guess I would just say like we're obviously beloved by thousands and thousands of listeners Ryan people come to us and tens say, of people really right Ryan Crofton please bequeath your knowledge your uh, about parenting to us. Uh, they come and they want to listen and they want to learn how to be better parents. And then they hear us talk about cyberpunk for an hour. And then they're like, <laughs> all right, but tell us, tell us how to be better parents. So what I would say for the topic here is it would be good if, if you have some top tips, Ryan. Yeah. I, I like you, you have three kids now. Like you, if you made mistakes on the first one, you probably corrected on the second, if not the second, then the third for sure. Yeah. Or oh, Isabel's like, just perfect parenting across yeah, the board. So, no problem. No problem. So whereas <laughs> where like, so I'll, I'll start with my, my, my sleep tips or things that I learned. The sure. biggest mistakes coupled with biggest lessons learned biggest mistake. Okay. Um, and like, was uh 
was sleeping in Gwen's room. So when when we just had Gwen in our old house, um, we were trying to do sleep training, making her fall asleep in her room, not in our bed or not in our room. But she was scared, right? She would be scared. Uh, and so I had to essentially go into that room, which was a small room, and sleep on a – like lie down on a kind of uncomfortable ottoman type thing that was in this space until she fell asleep and then, and then leave. And, and I tried like backing out, like standing in the doorway, she, you know – I, I tried all sorts of stuff and it was just, it was really uncomfortable. And there were like months of me lying on this stupid ottoman and it, it was really not a great situation. And when like, we weren't in the same house when Claire was born. So we did have more space, but the big thing that I would say was a game changer for us. I mentioned it already was this foldable Ikea mattress. I think it was like 50 bucks. Like, it, and it unfolds, like it's a square, uh, it, when it's folded, it unfolds into four pieces. You throw it on the floor of your bedroom or whatever, and and like you can then make a, you can, you know, talk to your child about when they can come use this mat or, uh, you know, when, when it's open to them. And if it's a situation of like they're sleeping in your bed and you just really want to get them out of your bed, early on it's like the closest spot to your bed without shipping them out of the room too like if you're not doing full sleep training which which is like putting them in their own room and like for lack of a better term letting them cry it out or figure it out um uh which they will uh, incidentally you can you can uh you could just put the mat down and then they're and then they're at least out of your bed and it's the first step or if they're in the room and then they know they can come in and and they they have a place that they can go. Uh, for us with Clara and you know that mat made all the difference. So I would say one hack from me would be to to get this like fifty dollar unfoldable IKEA mat. If we got that for Gwen um, at the old, it would have just been so uh, much easier, and I would have been less on that uncomfortable ottoman. You know, make make her come to me instead of me stuck in there with her per se. So that's, that's my, my number one tip, Ryan, what's yours? Yeah. And it's interesting as I'm hearing your, your tip, I think this just goes to show that like, it really depends on your situation and what your preference is. And, no, and, it doesn't. And that mat works doing... for everyone. I'm like, I, it's good to have a mat. It's no. it's like, I'm like, I'm not, don't argue my, my mat. It's I'm a not, uniform I, I, tip for everybody. I mean, here's the thing. In our house, we have a pretty clear rule. Like the kids aren't allowed to sleep in the parents' bedroom. Oh, that's cool. That's our put rule. The, put the mat in the hall. No, no mattress. There is no mattress on the floor. Uh, the kids don't sleep on the floor. But, but again, it goes back to whatever works for your yeah, specific true. setup. And I think that's what I want to normalize you're here before you're, you're, oh, okay, before you're going to give a tip though, right? You're not coughing. Of course, I'm not tip. just, I'm not just going to critique. Yeah. You're trying to shit on my tip, but <laughs> yeah, as you're like, what filing your taxes? What are you doing? Um, uh, sorry, uh, my tip is is this. I think it just, I think routine is critical, and you have to be able to adapt with that routine. Um, learn what your kids are 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 good with and what they're not good with. Like 
for us, we have bunk beds for Caden and Abby. Abby's bed is like, it's sort of a bunk bed that's like a double and then a single on top. So there is room for me to sort of lay on the edge of the bed while the kids fall asleep. And then I can duck out 15 minutes in and out. And I always, and, but it's, it's about, for us, it was also about educating the kids of like, I'm going to lay here until you fall asleep. Then I'm leaving. So they're not surprised when they wake up and I'm not there. You know, uh, I think that was a really yeah that's critical important. part for us. But that that's the big tip for me is like, is just, you know, keep that routine as best you can, but like, let the kids know when you do have to change it or, or, you know, just make sure they're, they're in the know so that they don't roll over and are surprised that you're not there. If you are sleeping in the room or as you put it, Crofton, like having that, that mattress on the floor and making sure your kids know that, Hey, like at this specific time, or if you need to, you can come in the room and we'll know you're there. You'll know we're here. It's all about just making sure like there's no unknown. Like Isabel knows that if she calls for mom or dad or Abby or Caden, like someone's going to come into the room and, and help her out. You know, like, I think that's, that's the critical part. And, uh, and nightlights. We got these really cool nightlights uh, from Amazon that are like these clip-on things, and they just have to kind of touch them, and it's like one of those like worm lights that you can reposition. Yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Uh, again, you do have to really teach your kids not to turn them on all night, but um, yeah, they've worked really well. Yeah, because Claire can't, like, she can't fall asleep in a dark and completely dark room. She needs a nightlight, and her night, but she needs it like right in her face, and we have like this portable squeezable egg it's like an egg you press down and it lights up and then she just pulls it right to her nose and looks directly into the light which i'm sure is horrible for her eyes but whatever it gets her to sleep yeah and that's another critical point it's like whatever helps them get to sleep like i mean i nothing is forever like the whole light situation the laying like i know personally that there's going to come a time when i don't have to lay on the edge of the bed for 15 minutes for the kids to get, I'm not going to have to sing the same good nights. Like Abigail want, wants me to sing the good nights. I'm surprised she didn't make me sing it on the podcast for, for her to be able to go back to bed. But like, I have to sing a specific song, a specific way every night, like a routine for our kids. It's, just, it's but it's specific to those three kids, you know? And, uh, it, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's routine is critical. And, and um, knowing what works for your specific kids is really helpful. But like, you know, having these conversations and just understanding that everyone's going to have a different routine. Um, I think that's that's all also important. And just, you know, play this segment for your in-laws and so that they understand that there are many different bedtime routines. So there you go. You can also drug your kids. So um my uh, my friend Mike uh, has a very high energy son, right. and uh, and uh, like just really high energy when he was younger. And they were just getting no sleep, and they just couldn't, you know, couldn't figure it out. And my wife suggested uh, that they explore, like, speak to their doctor about melatonin, which is like, um, which is a uh, uh, 
a, a supplement that you can that you can give to toddlers and stuff like that that will just like calm their body a little bit and that sort of thing. It's not like a heart shrug or anything like that. It's the exact opposite of that, uh, and it shouldn't be necessarily the first thing you um, you run to. But I tell you, Mike had tried everything um and i felt so bad for them they were not getting any sleep and they were you know like it was it was really a tough period and so they explore they talk to their doctor he's like yeah there's no problem there and they they give him a little bit of melatonin uh every night and uh, it just it absolutely like it was just made him made him calmer much more and he immediately fell fell asleep i don't know if they still do it i would be very doubtful he's like a nine-year-old boy now but um but I know he was very, very thankful to 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 my wife for introducing him to it. And it's not something that like do your homework on it and stuff like that. It's but it is something that that some kids may may need to calm their bodies, and it's it's yeah. not uncommon. So I'm no doctor, but you should look into it. I know that it I, I know that it has worked for some people if you're in that particular situation. I I think, and that's another part of like sharing these tips is like. You know, the mattress on the floor might not work for everyone, but like for folks who who do have kids that, that need to or or it helps them to sleep on the floor in the parents bedroom. Like I know um, having that idea that there is like an option out there that makes it easy. I think that's really helpful. Like, um yeah, it's it, Stop everyone's shitting gonna have on a... the mattress on the floor, Ryan. Mattress <laughs> on the floor. Every time to go back to shit on my one good idea, you're like, oh, you know, mattress on the floor might not be a good idea, but there are other good ideas yeah. out there for me. I hope you have a mattress protector if you're shitting on that mattress. Yeah, it's uh, true. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, hey, I go. got kids. I got a lot of mattress protectors. Um, <laughs> and now I now I got cats too. Oh my god! Yeah, you need scratch protectors on all your god. couches now. <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? That's uh, that's bedtimes. I mean, honestly, it's one of those topics that will evolve over time for us. I'm sure as we as our kids get older. So it might be there might be a bedtimes too. Who knows? It's probably likely. So I feel like this is already like honestly, this version of bedtimes for me is like bedtimes nineteen. I mean, there's like there's like 18 bedtimes before this. We just hadn't hadn't done them. This is the real bedtimes. Yeah, I'm sure there's a couple of prequel bedtimes that we've done. But you're right. Like this is definitely not the only bedtimes in the span of this show. So uh, but hey, now it's canon. This is canon bedtimes. And now we're going to everything before it is legacy content. So there you go. Uh, our next uh, episode topic is um, actually inspired by some conversations that happened um, in Discord, which we'll get to in a little bit. But our next topic is going to be making friends as adults. Uh, and that can be for both parents, adults who are parents and uh, adults who are not parents as well. So but obviously both come with a a little bit of a different scenario. But I think it I think it still works. I think this topic can be non-parenting as well as parenting so making friends as adults crofton it's going to be an interesting conversation i i think so look forward to that in a couple weeks i'm glad it came up in the discord because uh like i was literally driving to an event with my wife this weekend and we were talking about this exact thing and so it is a it is a good topic i think a lot of people talking about it as our lives become fuller and fuller it's harder to find the time right yeah yeah, for sure. So look forward to that. Uh, you can visit us on the web at tgistudios.com slash dad. That's where you'll find all our previous episodes, including lovely show notes, lovingly written by Crofton. 
Uh, sometimes he runs with the topic. Sometimes he, he gets the notes done uh, in as quick as a flash blade. So there you go. You can email the show, dad at tgistudios.com. Follow us on Twitter. You can find me at R. Murphy, Crofton at Crofton Steers, and the show at D&D Cast. Now, this is new. Uh, join us on Discord, bit.ly slash TGI Discord. Go to the Gamers in Discord and join the discussion in the Dungeons and Diapers channel. So that's where the conversation around our next topic came up, and there's been a really good uh, really good conversation going on in there. So definitely, uh, definitely check it out. And I do appreciate everybody, uh, in the gamers in discord, welcoming us the dungeons and diapers conversation over there. We talk a lot about video games, but parenting didn't really have like a section in the discord. Uh, and I know there are a lot of parents in the discord. So, but by no means is that channel taken over by just parenting talk. There's a lot of different conversations, just like the conversations on the show, Crofton. So there you go. It's true. You can even talk about Daryl Dixon and the zombies. True. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get emails about how or zombies vasectomies. Are yeah. <laughs> or vasectomies. Or or Crofton. This is his first strike. So there you go. <laughs> Strikes. Strikes. Or or PS5 Watch 2023. Crofton, just buy one already. <laughs> More on that next episode. We need a new bumper. Join our Discord. Share share your, your PS5 bumpers, and we'll play it on the show. Because we got to get an update, but not today, because we've already been going for two hours. So I can't believe you made it all the way through without talking about Spider-Man 2. Good job, Ryan. I did it for you. You know? I did it for you. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of Dungeons & Diapers. Have a great couple weeks, and tune in next episode for Making Friends as Adults. Mattress on the floor works for everyone. Angry face. Oh, <laughs> that the right one? Skeptical face. <laughs> <laughs>